Blog Talk Radio. Knoxville, Tennessee. It's the Right Reverend John St. Germain, your jovial host, your amiable and jovial host. And um, my goodness gracious, we're, we're getting, hey, we're getting the whole crew here tonight. Um, you're, as your uh, jovial and <laughs> amiable host, we're so glad that hopefully we've worked all the bugs out of uh, Blog Talk Radio. Five planets in retrograde, including Uranus. You see, I pronounce it Uranus, so none of you, none of you get a chance to make the obvious joke. Did you know there's a city, (laughs) I have to go there, there's a city, um, Uranus, Missouri, and they have a fudge factory. I'm not lying, because I got a box of this for my birthday, because my wife is, you know, my my wife's like a 12-year-old boy, right? And, uh, it says your fudge was packed in Uranus fudge factory. You know, here, here's a uh, a box of fudge. Your fudge was packed by Janine at Uranus fudge factory. Get your fudge packed at Uranus. They have a whole bunch of, you know, jokes like this, snicker, snicker, you know, and you get a box of fudge. And it's very good fudge if you want some really good hand-packed fudge. And this is an unsolicited testimonial that just came out of the stream of consciousness garbage bin of my mind it's uranus fudge look it up it really exists and it's worth the job i got a sticker you know i got my fudge packed at uranus you know so um it's it's very fun not politically correct at all but you know hey don't take it up with me take it up with the guys that own that company it's actually a bunch of uh 
I, I thought that's got to be a bunch of guys like out of college, right? But it's actually a woman-owned company. You know, it's a bunch of a bunch of ladies that sit there and make these um, Uranus jokes. And you know, I, I don't even call it that. It's a, it's a Uranus, Uranus. So, um, which is probably <laughs> how the Greeks. Per- don't get me going about the Greeks. No, no, we're not. Tonight we're going to talk about all <laughs> sorts of stuff. I can just see Doctor Jeremy Weiss. Uh, rolling on the ground right now because he is a 12-year-old boy in a 50-year-old man's body. Um, of course, speaking of Dr. Jeremy, uh, the big news, the big news, this is the biggest news of news, is the virtual Hoodoo Heritage Festival, which will take place October 16th, 17th, and 18th. You should get your tickets. You should get your tickets. Our um, our uh, jovial and erudite host of that is... Uh, uh, Dr. Jeremy Wise, he's the guy to talk to, and um, we also have our uh, triumvirate of uh, of three. You know, uh, uh, Reverend Tony I will be there, uh, who is uh, loquacious and uh, sagacious. So um, that covers that covers every adjective I know just about. So anyway, we'll, we all will be there presenting at this event, and um, oh, we got so many fun things with this thing. It's a Electronic media provides leeway that you can't get in person. For instance, no one will start late. No one will go over time. The materials will be right there. Nothing will be missing. Nothing will be mispacked. The materials downloaded. The Every handout you get has been personally eyeballed and vetted by Miss Catherine Ironwood, who misses nothing. She goes over that with a fine-tooth comb. It's a great thing. It's a great event. Um, you know, so hats off to uh, um, Dr. Jeremy for that. We're going to start, um, let's start by talking the uh, Hoodoo Heritage Festival. That was first on the agenda. The, the uh, Crystal Silent. Oh, yeah, you can rewatch it on demand if you like the presenter. And you said, I want to go back and get some of that. You don't have to raise your hand and say, sir, can you show us again how you um, shove that pin through the eyeball of that poppet? Well, certainly. You just go back and rewind it and watch it again. How exactly to uh, use that witch hazel on the crab powder and on the bay leaf and go back and watch it again until you get it, until you get it. That's one of the beautiful things about it. You get it right. Do it until you get it right. And is that Necronomicon or Necronomicon? Yeah, so get it right. Crystal Silence League founded around 1917. Uh, Jeremy's still throwing stuff. 15 hours of instruction. Yes. Go, just go read about it on the internet. That's what the internet's for. Go read about it on the internet. Go go look it up. Internet. Virtual Hoodoo Heritage Festival. Boom. You got it. Crystal Silence League founded around 1917 by Mr. Claude Alexander Conlon for the purpose of projecting his powerful thought waves of healing and affirmation to the world at large, to the agency of the crystal ball, the crystal ball, which we teach in our literature, how to use more than just crystal gazing. They can be used for healing. They can be used for projecting intention. They can be used for receiving gifts. They can be used for scrying and seership and for mediumship more than just a piece of glass that you look into and see your future. They're, they're quite good, quite good. Now, 
when Mr. Conlon passed into the uh, silence himself around um, 1954, the league more or less went with him. Although, you know, how can thousands of people concentrating on prayer daily disappear? They never did, but the league did. Uh, until about 2007 or so, when adepts of the Missionary Independent Spiritual Church, which is now the central church of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, that, that's that's hard to say, by the way. Um, when you're my age, and when it's this late at night for me, and you've been you've been uh, wrangling a six-year-old granddaughter all day. Um, Brought it to life from the beyond, where it was silent no more and became vocal. And uh, you find that at www.crystalsilenceleague.org, and we have a prayer petition page, prayer requests. You post your prayer. It's always free, and we pray for you. You go to the gift shop. The stuff there is not free. you got to buy it because it costs money, and it does cost money to run the website and the show and everything else. And um, so you buy a book, you buy a crystal, etc., and you'll get a free copy of the book Secrets of the Crystal Silence League, which is an edited compilation of Mr. Conlon's writings that he sent out to members of the Crystal Silence League about instructions on how to use the ball. And uh, there are some other books. I've written a couple, Crystal Magic by me, and uh, Lithomancy by me, and uh, I'll have some more coming out, I, I promise you, I'll have some more coming out, and uh, we have lots and lots of books, lots and lots of crystals, you just buy some, and it's a good, you're a good one-stop shop for all things crystals, basically, and um, you can post prayer, and prayer is free, and we always pray for you, the pastors and dedicants of the Crystal Silence League. But first, let's talk about our crystal of the week, the crystal of the third week, um, the blue tiger eye. You know, tiger eye comes in many colors. Most are uh, familiar with the uh, amber tiger eye. You can look at the amber tiger eye and go, oh, look at that, look at that. But if you uh, look at the blue tiger eye, it's sometimes called the falcon eye. If you look at falcons, they have these deep blue eyes. And uh, sometimes the hawk eye, but most often I've heard it called the falcon eye. And... The most uh, incredible thing about this um, is that when it's polished and cut correctly, it really does look like an eye of a a slitted eye, like a cat's eye, you know, or a a falcon eye. And um, I'll I'll tell you that this has um, a a blue sheen to it. Uh, Blue crystals uh, traditionally uh, resonate or harmonize to the throat chakra and third eye chakra. And we... um, uh, use them in work involving these things. Now, I'll tell you that um, the, um, you know, therefore they're good for uh, protecting uh, attacks on uh, your psychic meaning. They're good for all six psychic astral senses. You know about clairaudience, right? Hearing, clairvoyance, seeing. There's also a clair olfact, clair olfaction, which is astral smelling. Such people are literally psychic hound dogs. There's a clear gustification, yeah, uh, which is psychic tasting. And I have known people who do this, and they they cannot eat meat. You know, they taste the soul of the animal. 
and of course uh, the sixth sense, you know, clairvoyance, clear clear viewing. So we have um, these uh, senses that can be helped with uh, proper crystal meditation. The blue tiger eye is good for that. It's um, it's also um, uh, good for uh, focusing communication, for making sure your communication is not misunderstood, which is uh, why I think a, a little blue uh, falcon eye marble and a protection bag against mercury retrograde is good. Um, and uh, good for gaining your emotional balance. Uh, gosh, there's, there's so many things. The uh, uh, A flat one that's polished, uh, I've been told I don't I don't have headaches, but I'm told you can put it in a refrigerator and put it on your forehead over your third eye. If you had bad headaches, you know, lay down and put the cold uh, blue tiger eye, and it will it, it will help headaches. Um, gosh, what else should we look at here? The um, since it does help you see clearly, uh, it can help you see through deception. It can protect you from deception. It's supposed to be magically um, protective. It can help protect you against psychic attack. So, uh, gosh, we do have a lot of uh, a lot of things here that's very good for this uh, blue tiger eye. Um, so it's increase your uh, mental energy. If you feel sluggish or depressed, it's a good stone to help uh, elevate your uh, your focus and your clarity. And um, uh, it can help conflicts uh, of the internal kind. Uh, uh, cognitive dissonance is that right when you there's something you know you should do but there's something else you know you want to do you're doing something because you, you know it's what you're expected of you but your heart's saying now you got to do something else you know, should i do this but on the other hand i should do this but on the other hand and you need you, you, you need more hands in shiva to uh, juggle all these things this can help you with those kind of conflicts so uh it is a quartz by the way it's very hard um, which means if you wanted to do a elixir you can just drop it directly in the water and let it uh, simmer in the sunlight. If you put it out in the sunlight here, it bursts into flame. It's been like a hundred degrees here. Um, uh, take it and put a little brandy in it. Uh, I do suggest if you do make elixirs, put them in a container. I put them in a little screw jar. that uh, uh, used to have capers in it. It's about uh, an inch, two inches high, a little screw lid on it, drop them in there. Um, there's a minimum of air and uh, just drop them in there and let them, um, uh, infuse their gifts into the water. Um, but that's all I want to say about blue tiger. I, um, it, it's one of those stones that there's a lot of nuance with it because it can be um, greenish blue, yellowish blue, uh, deep indigo blue. Um, depending on the shades of blue, it will be, be more attuned to the throat, more attuned to the third eye. Um, sometimes they'll have a You'll hold them up, and they'll have flecks of gold in them, and that's another story altogether. They can be used in uh, uh, helping you with uh, clear strategies and in investing your money and stuff. Uh, so, you know, this is uh, this is deep work. It's deep work. Let's go to the Crystal Silence League and pray. Let's do some prayer. Let's go into spirit and pray. So if you go to crystalsilenceleague.org, go to the uh, prayer requests. Um, oh, my gosh, we've had... Uh, since I've been there, um, which was less than 30 minutes ago, we've had like 20 more prayers up. So uh, I just want to pick a few. Uh, we uh, always, as you know, um, pray by prayer ID number. And um, 
we never ever ever call out names unless when I get deep into the spirit and I forget and then uh, <laughs> everybody's anonymity is blown but uh, we'll try not to right so we start prayer ID 97155 who says uh, please please pray that my hearing comes back and returns to normal please pray that my right ear can hear again please start a prayer chain for me today my dear dear friends in prayer God bless you for praying for me this is uh, from in Colorado. Amen. And prayer ID 97153, who says, please pray for my friend Jay's, whom goes into the doctor today for neck ablation. I don't know what that is, but I sure hope it goes well for Jay. Amen. Prayer, uh, Dr. Jeremy would know. Prayer ID 97152. May we be blessed, protected by Jesus, Mary, St. Anthony, and ancestors. Love to you all, Saints Anthony, Espedi, Jude, Michael, Saints Martin de Porres, and Francis of Assisi, and lots of offerings to them. Amen. Then we have, um, gosh, 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 prayer ID 97148. Love to your ancestors. Thank you, all the saints, etc. This is the same person who's now sending love to all of our ancestors. And she says, please help me get what I need and let me be blessed by Jesus, Mary, St. Anthony, and my ancestors. Amen. And prayer ID 97146, who says, prayer warriors, my son has some questions of his identity as a young man. I'm asking for your prayers to keep his mind on Jesus and to remove any false identities so that he knows his identity as a man. Oh, I know what this is about. I solicit your prayers that God would give him peace of mind and remove all rebellious thoughts of negativity and replace them with productive and positive thoughts. Lastly, I pray that God will renew my son's mind to become a positive. I don't know what this says male and be a successful man in life. Amen. I, we honor all prayers, but, you're not going to pray a gay men straight that that will not happen. And we're not going to pray, try to pray a gay men straight, but you know, we honor all prayers. Prayer ID nine. Oh no. Prayer ID nine, seven, one, four, three, please pray that M O P A R will honor the warranty under the safety recall notice. Oh, it's car trouble. Uh Oh, right now they want to give me the runaround. Well, of course they do. I'm not going to stand for it. I have a copy of my warranty. I want my car fixed free of charge under the warranty paperwork as it is stated they will. I call in all my angels and ask for their support at this time to have this matter resolved correctly. M-O-P-A-R needs to, is that Mopar? Mopar needs to take responsibility for this. I pray my car is returned 100% fixed. Thank you. Amen. Did you know that some people can do a laying out of hands and heal cars? Just like you can lay on hands and heal people. Serious. I have a, I have a mechanic. I swear to God he can do that. Uh, prayer ID 97142, who says, DMM and DY are no longer together. You both did the wrong thing, and D will never be faithful to D. He already hasn't. This relationship is not working, never will, and ends as soon as possible. D still has love and feelings for JMM, who is the... Uh, the prayer uh, 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 recipient, the mother of his three kids, any attempt to replace her has never worked, still isn't, and never will. Nothing keeps him with Dakota, and their relationship is over immediately. Amen. I, ha- I have some advice about that at the end of this. Prayer ID 97141. 
please pray that the right person in the passport office is able to find my application so they can expedite its issuance. Thank you. Prayer ID 97139. Lord, please sever hearts and end their relationship immediately. She is with my husband, the love of my life. Close T's heart and wallet from M. Oh, she's a gold digger, is she? Make him see his bad decision and come back to me with the ring he is dining for me. I bet there's an age difference of at least 20 years between that man and woman. I bet I got $100 right here. Prove me wrong. Prayer ID 97135. He says, please remove any curses from me. Permanently heal any sexual problems. Manifest and grow me spiritually. Heal and bless all my pets. Amen. And that's the end of our prayers. Goodness gracious. Um, why don't we have a moment of silent prayer and um, meditation for all those in need of such. Uh, may all find power in spirit. Amen. 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 I was trying to recapture the fragmented threads of what I wanted to talk about each week. And uh, uh, I remembered uh, we often talk about um, the soul and about the um, consciousness and uh, directed mind and consciousness and uh, occasionally, 
people say, well, how do you reconcile that with the concept in Buddhism that the there's no such thing as a self? And uh, and I say, oh, well, you came to the right guy for that. Do you have about six hours? Um, sit, you know, grab a drink, um, and I'll tell you all about that. But uh, we'll try to condense it to that. Um, much of this will start with um, what is known in the Pali Canon as the uh, Malunkyaputta Sutta, because there was a chap who was a monk, and he was meditating, and apparently he was tormented by eight at him. And he he said, uh, he said, uh, great master, there's questions that I've noticed you never answered. And he had a list, just as you know, you can imagine somebody on Facebook with us, you know, here's a list of you guys that believe in God. Here's a list for you. Answer these, you know, and I'll, I'll believe in God. But he said, he said, sir, when I was all alone meditating, this thought occurred to me. There are these problems unexplained, put aside and rejected by the blessed noble one, which of course is the Buddha. One, is the universe eternal or is it not eternal? Is the universe finite or is it infinite? Is the soul the same as body, or is soul one thing and body another? Does the Buddha exist after death, or does he not exist after death? Or does he both at the same time exist and not exist after death? Or does he both at the same time not exist and not not exist? He said, problem you have never explained to me. And this does not please me. I do not appreciate it. I will go to you and ask you about this. And if the Blessed One knows that the universe is not eternal, let him say so. If the Blessed One knows whether the universe is not, then for a person who does not know, it is straightforward to say, I don't know. I don't see that. And so the Buddha's reply to Malinkya Buddha should solve every problem in the world if we just understood this. And you know what? There would be no Internet. There would be no Internet. Buddha said, Did I ever tell you, Malankyaputta, come, Meliamhuka, lead the holy life under me. I'll explain these questions to you. No, sir, Malankyaputta, even you, did you tell me, sir, I'll lead the holy life under you, and you will explain these questions to me. Well, no, sir, even now, Malankyaputta, I do not tell you, come and lead the holy life under me. I'll explain these things to you. And you do not tell me either, sir, I'll lead the holy life under you, and you'll explain these questions to me. Under these circumstances, you foolish one, who refuses who? Sometimes the Buddha got salty. There are times when he said, oh, you fool, oh, you foolish one, oh, you stupid man. People say, there are some people who get an idea of Buddha that butter wouldn't melt in his mouth, but he, he, would, he, would let, he would get salty. He would get salty. And he said, Maliapunka, if anyone says I will not lead the holy life under the blessed one until he explains these questions, he may die with these questions unanswered by the Buddha. Suppose, and this is beautiful, beautiful, because this describes the skeptical mind, the doubting mind, the restless, unbelieving mind, and the problems of the world so perfectly. And remember this next time you attempted to get into an endless debate with somebody. Suppose, Maliaputa. A man is wounded by a poison arrow, and his friends and relatives bring him to a surgeon. And suppose the man should say then, Good sir, I will not let this arrow be taken out until I know who shot me. 
whether he is a Kasara of the warrior class, or a Brahma of the priestly caste, or a Vaya of the trading and agricultural caste, or a Sudra of the low caste, what his name and family may be, whether he is tall, short, or medium stature, whether his complexion is black, brown, or golden, from which village, town, or city he comes, I will not let this poisoned arrow be taken out until I know the kind of bow with which I was shot, the kind of bowstring used, the type of arrow, what sort of feather was used on the arrow, and with what kind of material the point of the arrow was made. Malingaputa, that man would die without knowing any of these things. Even so, Malingaputa, if anyone says, I will not follow the holy life under the blessed one until he answers these meaningless questions, such as whether the universe is eternal or not, etc., he would die with those questions unanswered by the Buddha. Then the Buddha explains that the holy life does not depend on these views, whether opinion anybody has about these problems, there is, there is always the facts of existence, birth, old age, decay, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, distress, the cessation of which, said the Buddha, I declare in its very life. Therefore, said the Buddha, Tamalingaputta, who by now is probably like, I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> I can just see this guy going, oh man, I'm really sorry I asked this. Bear in mind that what I have explained is explained, and what I have not explained is unexplained. What are the things that I have not explained? And he goes down the list, whether the universe is eternal or not, etc., etc. I've not explained. Why, Malingaputta, have I not explained them? Because it is not useful. It's not fundamentally connected with the spiritual holy life. It's not conducive to aversion, detachment, cessation, tranquility, deep penetration, full realization, nirvana. That's why I've not told you about them. Then what, Malinapuka, have I explained? I have explained dukkha. The arising of dukkha, the cessation of dukkha, and the way leading to the cessation of dukkha. And we're going to talk about dukkha in a minute. It's exactly what it sounds like, Dukey. Um, why, Melingapuka, have I explained them? Because it is useful, it is fundamentally connected with the spiritual holy life, is conductive to aversion, detachment, cessation, tranquility, deep penetration, full realization, nirvana. Therefore, I've explained them. And to understand Dukkha, we go into the first noble truth, which is Dukkha. And the first noble truth is often mis mistranslated. Um, uh, and really, uh, saying the four noble truths is inaccurate. It's really the fourfold noble truths. They cannot act independently. You can't say, oh, I got one of them and not the other. Um, because if you do, here's what you wind up with. The first noble truth of Dukkha. Um, well, I'll tell you the four noble truths as they are written in the original Pali from the Buddha's lips. They are, number one, Dukkha. Number two, Samnyata the arising or origin of dukkha. Three, Naroda. I love that word, Naroda, the cessation of dukkha. And Maga, the way leading to the cessation of dukkha. There are four words. Four words. Four words. So what is dukkha? Uh, first noble truth is often mistranslated, misunderstood as life is suffering. That's not what dukkha is. Now, suffering is included under dukkha. Uh it never says life is equated with suffering, but it's generally translated by almost all scholars, you know, people who uh, profess 
um, as the noble truth of suffering. And it's interpreted to mean that life, according to Buddhism, is nothing but suffering and pain. No, no. Uh, both of these translations and interpretations are, uh, ironically, unsatisfactory because probably the best translation of dukkha in any tongue is unsatisfactoriness. And what a world of meaning that covers in teachings of Buddha. Um, it's because of this very limited uh, and uh, uh, licentious, licentious trans, uh, translation that many people think Buddhism is pessimistic. They go, all you all think about is suffering. And as Buddha said, what I teach is dukkha, right? The unsatisfactory of exi- unsatisfactoriness of existing. We we'll call it suffering. I teach suffering, how suffering arises, how to get rid of suffering, and the path that leads to suffering. You can call it suffering. Just say you want to get rid of suffering, and you can because you know suffering is not pain. You got pain is unavoidable. Suffering is the optional part of pain. So. It's not pessimistic or optimistic. Uh, Buddhism is a realistic view of life. It's relativism. It's uh, relativity. It's a uh, spiritual relativity. It looks at things objectively. There's no fool's paradise here. Uh, it doesn't frighten and antagonize you with all kinds of imaginary fears or sins. There's no sins in Buddhism. You have wholesome and unwholesome activities and thoughts. You're not going to go to hell if you, you know, think a lustful thought. It's just unwholesome, and it can lead to um, uh, suffering. So it tells you exactly and objectively what you are and what the world around you is, and it shows you the way to perfect your, your own freedom and peace and tranquility and happiness. You're not going to save the world with it. You can become a candle around which these things are illuminated. So One doctor, let's say one doctor may gravely exaggerate the symptoms of an illness and he gives up altogether, just gives up hope altogether. Another may declare there is no illness. It's all in the patient's mind, right? And the guy dies. So um, both are false interpretations of reality, right? You can call the first one pessimistic and the second optimistic, but both are equally dangerous. These are the dangers of pessimism and the dangers of optimism. And but a third physician diagnoses the problem and the symptoms correctly. He understands the cause and nature of the illness. He sees clearly that it can be cured, and he courageously administers a course of treatment, and he saves the patient. And the Buddha is like that last physician. He looked at the world, saw that there was suffering, there was this dukkha, and there was a way to get rid of it. Now, it's true that the, the Pali word dukkha uh, – in everyday usage, it means suffering and pain and sorrow uh, and misery. Uh, the opposite is sukha, sukha, which means happiness or comfort. But the term dukkha is the first noble truth. encompasses so much more. It is a uh, existential term, um, a worldview. Uh, it's admitted that the term dukkha does have suffering, but it also has deeper ideas such as imperfection, impermanence, Emptiness, insubstantiability, decay. Uh, it's difficult to find one word to embrace this whole concept in the first noble truth. And so it's better to leave it alone. Dukkha. Call it dukkha. And most people don't. 
most uh, most people don't. Those who seriously study Buddhism in the Theravadan tradition call it dukkha. Leave it alone because you'll never fully explain it, but you're experiencing it every moment of your, of your life. Sometimes it's just a vague buzz in the back of your head that things aren't quite the way they should be. Sometimes it's utter misery, but you're always experiencing dukkha. Always. Because of this, you know, Buddha says, yes, here we are. The world has this dukkha, has this unhappiness, has this impermanence. Anything that you rely on to make you happy is going to go away. Anything that's making you happy now is temporary. It's going to change. It's subject to decay. All conditioned things of reality are subject to decay. That's one of the laws. You're happy now. It's going to go away. You have a desire for something. And I've had people say, well, if I desire ice cream and eat it, that desire goes away. But then you want something else. Desire itself doesn't stop. (laughs) And people who are young want to be old. People who are old want to be young. People who are sick want to be well. People who are well um, want to be healthier. Uh, uh, Buddha even said married people have married people stress. Uh, single people have single people stress. There is no end to it. There's no such thing as a stress-free existence, except the Four Noble Truths. So, the one of the biggest things that causes this. So, I got to keep this brief because I said I can get six hours on this easily. Um, but he doesn't deny happiness in life when he says there is a suffering. He's acknowledging here's suffering in the world. It exists. Here's this misery. But he describes, uh, as he does, very – he's like an accountant of reality. He uh, makes lists of things, different forms of happiness, material and spiritual. For laymen – oh, no, Jeremy, death doesn't end it. No, because we got the cycle of rebirth in Buddhism. Uh, desire is reborn. Jeremy says stress-free existence equal death. Actually, in Buddhism, the, unless you quench uh, uh, tanha, the thirst, the thirst is reborn in some other form. Um, and uh, whereas um, uh, Jeremy may not feel it anymore, the sum total of existence does. The next being it inherits the. Uh, uh, the yes, uh, and Dr. Mary points out paranirvana, which we shall. Uh, that's final nirvana, final release, and that's a. Uh, oh, that's a subject for another day. The nirvana and paranirvana. Um, the Buddha, uh, to enter parinirvana, you're a Buddha. You know, you've you've, you've uh, uh, let go of many attachments. You have uh, gone through uh, at least most of the steps of uh, enlightenment, and uh, there's no flame of desire or attachment anymore. There's nothing to cling to, and uh, the fire goes out. Now, is it non-existence? No, no. It is not. People say, oh, so it's uh, uh, nihilism. No, it's not. No, no. That's a topic for another day, but no, it's not non-existence at all. And uh, to understand that, you have to understand that Buddha used fire as a metaphor, and he said the mind is like fire unbound when it's uh, reached enlightenment, and um, that uh, it's like flame that is imprisoned by wood. When the wood is taken away, the fire is freed and is unbound. Now, to Western mind, that means, oh, the fire is extinguished. That means that the uh, the person is extinguished. But in Vedic philosophy, fire is a universal element. And when you kindle a fire on wood, 
you've trapped that element onto the wood. You've not created fire from nothing. You've trapped the universal element of fire into the wood. And when the fire seemingly goes out, it returns to the universal state of everywhere. And so if the mind is like fire unbound, the consciousness or the mind or the quality of awareness, which is what's passed on, not identity, but quality of awareness is no longer trapped to the kindling, which is the body, the four skandhas, the senses, the uh, perception, awareness, body, etc. But has been like fire unbound, which means since it's everywhere in particular, everywhere in general, it's nowhere in particular, which is why it is said that the mind of the Tathagata, the Buddha, uh, does it exist? No. Does it not exist? No. Does it both exist and not exist? No. Does it neither exist nor not exist? No. These conventional terms cannot apply to something that no longer relies on conditions. And nirvana can only be described as what it's not, not what it is. Because to describe what it is requires conditions. And nirvana is the unconditioned and cannot be grasped or uh, described by logic. Language is a barrier to us because we sep- we have nouns and verbs. We separate the object from the action. And in reality, it does not do that. Um, a falling brick, you say brick falls. No. A brick is a time-space event that combines um, space-time into one thing. So a brick is a space-time event that is engaged in the action of being a brick. The brick is. The brick is not doing anything. You cannot separate the object from the verb. But we do with language. You know, we say man running, but this is conventional reality. And this is where we're going to get to with this discussion of how can we talk about a soul, and yet how can there be anatta, not self? That's our next step. Um, anyway, better to leave it untranslated. So we have these happinesses, the happiness of the householder, the happiness of family, the happiness of uh, prosperity, being free from debt, the happiness of the recluse, uh, renunciation, getting away from people and living the spiritual life, the happiness of sense pleasures, the happiness of renunciation of sense pleasures, the happiness of attachment and the happiness of detachment, uh, uh, Malarepa said, no, no, uh, Asanga. Asanga said, it's very pleasurable to scratch an itch, but it's more pleasurable not to have an itch. So all these are included in Dukkha, though. Even these very pure spiritual states of uh, jhana, uh, samadhi, are included in Dukkha, even though they are often taught as the end game in many gurus. They'll say, if you reach a state, this is enlightenment. Samadhi is not enlightenment. Um, the jhanas are not enlightenment because they're still conditioned. There, there's a shadow of suffering and impermanence still mixed with that. Um, so in one of the um, uh, one of the suttas, I think it's in the Majima Nikaya, the uh, middle-length discourses, um, um, after praising all the spiritual happinesses of all these jhanas, the four, the four jhanas, there's four states of them, Buddha says they're impermanent, they're dukkha, and they're subject to change. And he says, 
the word dukkha is explicitly used. And it's dukkha not because there's suffering involved in these very pleasurable states, but because whatever is impermanent is dukkha. In Pali, that's yad anikam tam dukkham. Whatever is impermanent is dukkha. So he was realistic and objective. He said, this is it. This is the world. This is the way it is. You can cry about it. You can make up fantasies about it. You can uh, say it's never going to happen to me, but this is what it is. So he said that in regard to life and the enjoyment of sense pleasures, clearly understand three things. He said, like, you, don't, you don't have to abandon them. You don't have to. But he said, that's not for everybody. You know, the life of the monk is not for everybody. The life of a Buddha is not for everybody. But notice, there's going to be some things about this. Um, notice, understand three things. One, attraction or enjoyment. Two, evil consequences or danger or unsatisfactoriness. And three, the freedom of liberation, which is, of course, uh, being free from these naroda, freedom from desire. So when you see a pleasant and a charming and a beautiful person, you like that person, right? Um, you're attracted. You enjoy seeing that person again and again. And you get a lot of satisfaction from this companionship. And this is enjoyment. It's called asada. This is enjoyment. It's a fact of experience. But this enjoyment is not permanent. Just as that person and all of those attractions are not permanent either. When the situation changes, when you can't see the person, when you're deprived of this enjoyment, you might become sad. You may have longing. You may be, Some people become unreasonable and unbalanced and behave foolishly. And by the way, that's like 90% of any spiritual worker's business. That lasts effect the unreasonable and foolish reaction that thinks that we can hold on to a person just as they are without change forever and this is the evil and unsatisfactory and dangerous side of this whole picture of sense pleasure and this too is a fact of experience now if you have no attachment to the person if you're completely detached that's freedom that's liberation and that is desirable, but it's got to be a healthy detachment, not the psychotic detachment of a narcissist, right? So these things are not true with these things are true with regard to all enjoyment in life. This um, sociopathic detachment's not a healthy thing. So not pessimism, not optimism, neither. So the concept of dukkha can be viewed from three aspects. The dukkha is ordinary suffering, daily suffering that we all understand. You know, we go, God, this is terrible. You know, um, dukkha is produced by change, that things change and we can't, and we're trying to keep them from changing, resistance to change. And dukkha as conditioned states. That is, things that arise from conditions fall away. What must come up must go down. So all kinds of suffering in this life, birth, death, old age, sickness, our association with unpleasant persons and conditions, separation from beloved ones and pleasant conditions, not getting what one desires, grief, lamentation, distress, all these forms of physical and mental suffering, which are universally accepted as suffering or, or pain, are included in dukkha as ordinary suffering. That's just the stuff you see. So a happy feeling, a happy condition in life, we don't see that as dukkha, but it is. That's dukkha too, because it's not permanent, not everlasting. It changes sooner or later, and when it changes, it will produce pain and suffering and unhappiness. 
This is included in dukkha as suffering produced by change. And that's easy to understand those two forms of suffering. You say, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, we had this great thing going, you know, with my friends, and then everybody moved, and, you know, I, you know, those days were great. Now things suck. You know, God, I want to die. You know, I want to drink myself. I, I get it. So the third form of dukkha, as conditioned states, is probably the most important aspect of the first noble truth and where we start to get into this idea that I'm leading into by back alleys is one of the most pernicious and harmful conditioned states is this idea that we consider a being, an individual, or I. And what we call a being or an individual or I, according to Buddhist ideology or philosophy, is a combination of ever-changing physical and mental forces or energies which can be divided into five groups or aggregates called khandas or skandhas, depending on which language you speak. And Buddha says, in short, these five aggregates of attachment are dukkha. These five aggregates of attachment are dukkha. Equal. Now, the term is equal dukkha. Dukkha is this. Not these contribute to dukkha. These are under dukkha. They are dukkha. These five condition states are dukkha. And what these are, of course, body, perception, senses, uh, mind, etc., uh, which is another idea altogether. Um, he goes, oh, Bukas, what is Dukkha? It should be said that it is the five aggregates of attachment. And it should be clearly understood that Dukkha and the five aggregates are not two different things. The five aggregates themselves are Dukkha. As long as you have these five aggregates, there's Dukkha. And we'll understand this point better uh, when you study the five aggregates. Um, there's the aggregate of matter, which is the body. Um, the um, um, the aggregate of the senses, uh, sensations. It's all the sensations. Pleasant. Now that's not uh, touch and stuff. That's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. These are sensations of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And all of these are uh, associated with touch. They're uh, eyes, uh, body, uh, eyes, uh, sight, touch, hearing, taste. Etc. And a very important thing in Buddhism, there's six senses. The five that you know of in mind. Mind is considered a sense organ. Mind, not brain. Mind, because while senses, um, uh, objects, eyes see objects. Uh, the eye gate senses visual objects. The hear senses audio objects. Mind senses thought objects. Mind is a sense organ, not the brain. Mind. And in Buddhism, the mind doesn't necessarily arise from rupa. Not necessarily does it arise from the brain. Um, uh, it should clearly be understood that the mind is not spirit as opposed to matter. It should be remembered in Buddhism that there is not a recognizable spirit as accepted by other systems or philosophies. Mind is a faculty or organ like the eye or the ear. It can be controlled and developed like any other faculty. And the Buddha speaks quite often of the value of controlling and disciplining all six faculties, all six senses. That is a very, very important idea, the uh, aggregate of sensations, uh, especially the idea of mind. And the third is the aggregate of perceptions. Uh, and there's six of those with the senses, but perception is basically uh, memory. 
part of us that marks things. The first time uh, Monk explained to me is a chocolate chip cookie. So the first time you experience, say you've never had a cookie and someone hands you a chocolate chip cookie and you don't know what it is. So you make an investigation, you smell it, you touch it, you taste it. And while you're doing this, you're marking it. Perception is marking it. It's making imprints. It, it, we're not talking about mind. Mind is separate from perception. Okay. Perception itself is marking these things saying, Hmm, this is the smell. This is the taste. This is the texture. And I like it. I have a pleasant sensation, pleasant sensation. So the next time you see a cookie, you don't have to go through all that. You don't have to say, Oh, uh, let me touch it, taste it, investigate. I like it. Perception recognizes it and says, Hey, that's that chocolate chip cookie. You liked have another one, right? Or you see a snake and the snake bites your friend and he dies, you go, well, what is that? It looks like a rope. What? Oh, a bit, oh, my God, he died. At that point, you've made your mind up. Snake dangerous. Next time perception sees a snake, you go, oh, my God, a snake, kill it. And uh, as Christian Murdy said, once you make up your mind a snake is dangerous, you stop learning about snakes, which is sad because, you know, there's only in North America like three poisonous reptiles. So, you know, the rest of the millions of them are harmless. So, uh, that's perception. And then there's mental formations called volition. And oh, volition. Volitions are mental and physical. Volitions are both good and bad. And what's generally known as karma comes under this group. And, and this is important. Karma means having willed, you act through body, speech, and mind. Volition is mental construction. And I'm going to tell you that we only have five minutes uh, or six, but um, volition uh, can produce things like, um, oh, my goodness, uh, attention, will, determination, confidence, concentration, wisdom, energy, desire, repugnance or hate, ignorance, conceit, idea of self, etc. cetera, uh, all from volition and these produce effects and there's 12 of these such activities that constitute mental formations the fifth is the aggregate of consciousness consciousness is not what we think of in western society consciousness is a reaction response which has one of the six faculties eye ear nose touch as a base so mental consciousness has the mind as its basis in a mental object or an idea or a thought so consciousness is connected with the other faculties. So consciousness does not recognize an object. When the eye comes in contact with the color, for instance, blue, visual consciousness arises, which simply is awareness of the presence of a color. It's perception that recognizes that color is blue, that sky is blue, that my chair is blue. And it's got to be emphasized that according to Buddhist philosophy, there is behind all of this no permanent unchanging spirit that can be considered self or soul or ego or I. Now, because a, a wrong notion that consciousness is a sort of self or soul that continues as a permanent substance through life has persisted from the earliest time to today and has caused no end of trouble, no end of evil and no end of foolishness. So <clears throat> now we get to fire. 
fire is named according to the material on which it burns. A fire can burn on a kind of wood. It's called wood fire. It's burned on a kind of straw. It's called straw fire. So consciousness is named according to the condition through which it arises. And Buddha goes on to say, and I've got to be very quick here, that volition and karma and dukkha are three terms for the same thing. And this is a very important thing. And every time I say it, my hair stands on end because of how important. I mean, I, I've, I've known this for 30 years. I remember when it was made clear to me that karma and volition and dukkha are just three words for the same thing. And if you can really get that, you can really grasp that, not intellectually, but perceive it in reality, your foot is above the stream. You're about to enter the stream of enlightenment. You're poised because that's the first step in realizing that these these khandas, that volition, this idea that generates self, is the source of dukkha and karma. Three words for the same thing. Dukkha is not separate from karma. Dukkha doesn't cause karma. Volition is not separate from karma. It doesn't cause karma. These are the same thing. It's like ice, water, and vapor are the same thing. Not three different things. So if you, if you get that, if you truly get that, I just hair my hair stands up. What hair I have? Uh, oh, you're just you're so close there. But that does not mean that self does not exist. That it is anatta, not self, not no self. And I've had many people. Oh, yeah, I understand. There's no self. There's no real self. It's an illusion. No, 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 no. Self definitely exists. You're gonna tell me you're not real? You're gonna tell me you don't that you don't exist? No, self. And I'll leave you with this, and we'll pick it up next week. Self is a functional construction of the five khandas so that we can exist in reality. It's a structure. It's a functional structure of the five khandas. You take away any one of those five khandas, and there's no sense of self, any one of them. For a human being, a conscious being to exist, you got to have all five of them. You take any one of them away, self, there's no self behind it. Not self, not no self. There is self. There's a self in a conventional sense. And we'll come back next week. Isn't that great? I just think it's great. I love this stuff. I love this stuff. And we'll come back next week and talk about why we can still talk about spirit in this, right? Not self, but spirits. Next week, love you. Reverend loves you. See you.